Uh, I, I, I want to apologize, kind of, for last week. Uh, um, I was going to speak last week, and I, I mean, really, no apologies, because Todd just absolutely nailed it. Um, I, I mean, I, I was here. I was here at nine and just, you know, crying. You know, it was, it was just awesome. Um, but, uh, you know, last week was Valentine's Day Sunday, and so Lisa and I were going to do a message together and uh, we were even going to sing a duet for you, and, um, but she felt like she needed to practice more. So, uh, um, but uh, as I was going to do this, uh, th- this whole thing um, on Thursday, uh, on Thursday, I watched this video last Thursday, and it just blew my mind. Um, I, I've, you guys know, I mean, different things grab my heart, different things touch me, and, and, uh, and they, they change me. You, those who have been with me and know me know that, gosh, my life's made a lot of turns as I've been convicted by the Word of God, or He's had me experience things in third world countries that have changed me. But I've never had a time where I've had a loss for words. You know, like I can always explain what's going on in my heart. I can always, you know, experience something during the week and then share it with you guys and tell you how God wrecked me. But it was just one of these experiences where I couldn't even explain it to my own wife. Um, In fact, I told her, I go, you know what, I got to leave. I got to just get alone with the Lord and just drove up to the mountains for 24 hours and just prayed. Um. It's a, the video I watched was a, a video of, you know how we, we, we gave like $60,000 to, um, to build an orphanage in India. And it was an orphanage for, uh, um, it's for the widows and for the orphans of missionaries and pastors who were, who were beat to death. And, um, and so they're, they're finishing that up. In fact, I just got a letter from their, uh, the, you know, the leader out there. And this is a guy who's had about 50 family members, relatives, die through the, the violence as this radical sect of Hindus has been killing the Christians out there in, uh, in uh, the Orissa area of India. But I watched this video, and um, I, 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 still, I still can't explain it. <clears throat> but what I did was uh, I posted it on our website because I want to challenge some of you to watch it. And, uh, not yet, stop. (laughs) That's good, though. Um, I posted it on our website uh, because I wanted some of you guys to watch it. And and we're not going to show it this morning because it's just just too much. Um, And I, I also don't think it's something you watch in a crowd. I think it's something you need to get alone with the Lord and watch it, or maybe with a couple of people. Uh, Jim Elliston, our, our usual worship leader, and I, we kind of watched it together as our friend from India came and showed us, and we just weren't ready for it. I mean, Jim said, you know, he goes, ever since I watched that video, I, I never stop praying for these people. I wake up in the morning, I'm praying for them. Go to bed at night, I'm praying for them, praying for them throughout the day. He goes, I finally understand what the Bible says about praying without ceasing. Um, and it, it, it just, it was awful, but I think it was a great thing for me to watch, and I, and I challenge you to watch it. Um, if you go to our website, uh, front page under the news and updates, you click that, and there'll be a couple of videos. Um, but I, I made another video because I wanted to at least spread the news to other people, you know, just to YouTube it and get it out to the world, and uh, this also will be on our website and, um, and I wanted to show that video to you because I just wanted to raise awareness and get people praying for these people. But I, I wanted to come up here and just give you a word of warning. Even this video, even though it's, it's, it's edited and there's just a few seconds here and there showing the violence, the other one really just shows it all. But this one, even, even the few seconds, I felt like it'd be good to just let you know it's coming. So especially if you have kids in the room, you may just tell them, you know what, don't watch this, just put your head down. Um, because there's some violent scenes in there, and, um, and I, I felt like I needed to just warn those of you who have kids, or even some of you ladies that may not want to watch, there is some violence on this, and so go ahead and tell your kids, you know, now if uh, you don't want them to watch it, 
But uh, this is going to be spread around because we, we really want the world to be aware of what's going on. And so um, let's, let's go ahead and play it. For the last year, I've been, uh, been hearing about the persecution of the pastors and the missionaries and just the Christians in general in, uh, in India, in the Orissa area. And my heart's been stirred toward it. But just recently, I saw a video of some of the persecution. And I just wasn't ready for it. I understood what was going on over there and then I saw the video and I wanted to throw up when I was done watching it. it. It caused me to question everything in my life. I mean literally everything. Everything about me, everything about church. I mean when I saw these men of God literally being beaten, I, I've never seen someone being beaten to death. I've never seen people getting mobbed and literally, I don't, I'm not sure that I've even seen death in, in, in a violent manner. And, and when it's the real thing, it, it, just, uh, it just makes you sick. You, 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 you knew what was going on, but to see it, it, it just, uh, it, it, I, I can't explain it. to think of people that may lift me up because I have a gift of communication or, or some other Christian who has an ability to sing or play an instrument and how we lift these people up as our heroes or great writers or when these are the ones that uh, in their lives look like Christ and it, it, see when we make a, a, a popular author or speaker our hero then it's easy to go oh yeah I want to become like him but then when we look at these martyrs and these people who really have died for the gospel if we lift them up to be heroes we have to constantly ask ourselves question, do I want to be that <laughs> when I talk to the people in India that are going through it they're not asking for money, they're just asking that we remember them, that we would pray for them because they're saying many people are converting out of Christianity, out of fear, because people are saying, look, if you get out of Christianity, we won't do this to you. And so people are scared and, and so they're saying, would you just pray for us for courage? And I don't know what emotions go through your mind when you see some of these images but what they're asking for is would you channel that toward prayer for us I mean you've listened to me speak for three or four minutes could you spend the next three or four minutes praying for our brothers and sisters in India seriously praying for them Can we, uh, you know, let me, let me read a letter from uh, Pastor Nyack, who's working with those families now and, uh, and is out there and has watched his own family die. He says the uh, RSS activists, those are the ones that are killing the Christians there, are still active in planning to create nuisance against our people. Their main target is pastors and leaders. Many persecuted people who have been sent out from the relief camps and not having anything in their villages is a major problem. We're thinking and praying for them to be accommodated safely. Some of the young girls have been accommodated recently in the House of Love and Bible School. In the coming days, Brother Isaac, Ezwar, and most probably Brother Matthew will be going to Condomal to meet the persecuted people. Recently, I visited Orissa, and the people over there are thanking, are thanking you for your valuable prayers. 
They are also waiting to meet you all in the coming days for the inauguration of the new children's home. Please, please pray for them. They are also thanking you all from their hearts for the support they received previously. Um, please convey my lots of love and good wishes to the entire members of our Brothers Burden Cornerstone Church, to Pastor Chan and the fellow pastors. The angels are also conveying their love to all of you. Looking forward to see you in March for the Cornerstone House of Love building inauguration. With much thanks and prayers, Pastor Nyack. Um, I've been so grateful for our prayers, and I just I, I want to just keep sending reports back to them and going, no, you've got it. Tons of people in America that are praying for you. And so stay strong. I know that it's very tempting to go back to Hinduism because you're being threatened. Um, but God is worth it. And, uh, and uh, I just would like us to spend a couple minutes right now praying for them. Would you just bow your heads? I'm just going to give you a few moments of silence. Just, just you pray whatever God leads in your heart to pray for them. Father, your word tells us to mourn with those who mourn. And so, God, right now, we're just so sad for these children who watched their dads, these wives who watched their husbands go through this, and even some of the women that were persecuted the way they were. God, we're at a loss because we've never faced anything near this. God, sometimes I just feel like my prayers feel weak because I don't even know how to pray. It's like over my head. And yet we trust that your Holy Spirit is praying on behalf of us. God, to see our brothers, true family members, treated that way. God, I, I pray for the ones that are doing the persecuting. God, they just seem possessed. And just... God, that somehow you would show them your grace and your mercy and your love. That they would have a Saul-like experience to recognize that they're persecuting you. But God, this morning we just forget about ourselves and we think about those who are suffering for your name's sake. Those who are suffering in Haiti. Those who are suffering because of human trafficking. And slavery, and especially our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted because they refuse to deny the name of Jesus. I pray that they would be an example to us and give us boldness not to deny you in other ways. God, right now we just lift them up to you, God. Comfort them wherever they are. 
Find them food, find them shelter, give them peace, help them to know that you're the right thing. You're the only thing. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, I encourage you to watch the video. Um, I'll let you know it's, it's difficult to watch, but it's so cleansing to watch, and it, it really impacted me so much. If you go to blog.cornerstonesemi.com, it'll, it'll come up on there as, long, as well as this one. But here's what happened after I watched it. And by the way, I showed it to the elders on Tuesday morning, and we just sat there in silence. Like we just, you, you couldn't even say a word after watching the whole video. It's just... It's, uh, there, there's almost like a sacredness to it. You know, I finally understood uh, these passages in Scripture that I thought I got before. You know, normally I would, I would look at, you know, I would, I, I would hear about these people reconverting and getting out of Christianity over there, and maybe there, was a, there would be a side of me that, not judgmental, but like, come on, you guys, don't give up on Christ. But after watching the video, I, the only person I was judging was myself. And uh, in my own life, and going, man, what do I, you know, deny Christ over? And uh, it, it just—I uh, don't even want to talk about it too much. I, I want you to experience it. I want you to watch it, and I want it to take our church in a new direction. Because um, it got me to go off and just question myself. You know, when the Bible talks, when Paul talks about these, uh, these super apostles in, in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, wow, that's great. You guys are rich. You guys are famous. You guys are this and that. And he says, but he goes, us apostles, he goes, we're like the scum of the earth. We're like men waiting to die in the arena. He goes, it's great that you're rich and comfortable and nice and you, know, and you think that's God's will for your life. He goes, but that's really interesting because for those of us who are really following the Lord and speaking out for him, he goes, we're treated like the scum of the earth. And I remember just seeing the, the visions of these, these dead bodies all along the road, just all dusty and no one to care for them. And, and I just think, wow, that's the scum of the earth. It's exactly what Paul was talking about. I thought about what Jesus said in, in John 15. He says, when the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And he says, no servant is greater than his master. He says, if they persecuted me, he goes, they're going to persecute you also. And I, and I started just to just, just think about how the false prophets were so popular and everyone loved them. But the true prophets in scripture, they weren't popular. People hated them. They, they were insulting them, persecuting them. And, and so it just, you, you can understand why a person like me would, would go away and go, wait, wait a second, what, what's going on here? Because the truth is, is, I'm pretty popular. You know, in the Christian world, it, and, and, and you know, you, you get these different praises and everyone, you know, just kind of lifts you up and this and that. And, and I'm just going, man, I'm, I'm treated like royalty in some place. Not here, but, you know, in other places, it's like, Wow, you know, and, uh, but it really, you know, it really made me sick because I thought, man, why are people lifting me up? And, and we, we don't know anything about these people out there. They're the heroes. And if there's anyone we should be lifting up and looking up to as heroes because it's like, man, what have I suffered? But I, but I went out in the woods and I, I, I just spent some time in God's word and I walked through 1 John. I hope, I hope you're still reading that. And uh, I, I just walked through it again, and, but I really took my time this time because I wanted to look at every verse and go, God, am I the real thing? Is this true of me? Okay, let's go to the next verse. Okay, I got that one. Okay, this one. Is this really me? And it's just God and I. There's no one to impress. It's just he and I. I just want to know, God, am I for real? Because it's a good thing to do. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourselves to see if you're really in the faith. And 1 John's great because he just tells you flat out, look, if you keep on sinning, you know, it's obvious, you're not the real thing. If you keep on doing this, you keep on doing this, of course you're not the real thing. You say that you are, but you're not. And so I'm going through this book that we're studying and, and just going, God, am I for real? Am I for real? And, and by the end, I, was, I, I, I had a real sense of peace, like, no, 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 I'm, I am the real thing. And I would give my life. And yeah, there's a part of me that's scared to death of something like that. But I go, God, you know what? Not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. You know what? I don't want that. And if there's any other way, man, then go for it. But, but I'll do that. I'll do that because you are worth it. 
and, and, and show me in my life the, the places where I'm just fooling myself and I'm, I'm thinking so much about me and not about them and about my brothers and sisters around the world. Show me where, where, where I, can, I, I can help even more. And, and God, just help me. And it was a great, great time. It was a real affirming time. It was, a, it was just, a, I, I, I can't explain it. It's just my time with God. It was just good. It was good. It was a great time of worship when it was all done. And, and I pray the same is true for you, that, uh, that you would have that type of experience um, I still wasn't totally sure, though. You know, after uh, while, while I had a great time with the Lord for me, uh, last Sunday I just didn't feel like I was ready to share with you. Like I didn't know what to say to you um, and everyone else that's watching. It's, it's just, what is the message to the church? I, I want to be careful not to get on some emotional rant, but really be biblically based and go with Scripture. And, uh, and I was praying for that and, and, and asking for that and... and and what the Lord put on my heart, uh, he gave me a desire. Here's my desire. Here's what I want to do. I, I want to start all over. I, I want to start all over. And uh, I, I want to walk up here and, and just pretend that you know nothing about God. And that I've never taught you before. And... I have this desire to just come up and say, based upon everything I know now of Scripture, you know, the last 25 years studying Him and, uh, and everything I've experienced of Him, like if I were to start over with a brand new crowd, what would I teach them? And let's just forget everything else and start all over. And because I've feel like I understand the Bible a lot more than I did 25 years ago. Or some of you have been with me for like 15 years. I think I'm a completely different guy than I was 15 years ago. And, uh, and, and I, I feel like I have a much better handle of Scripture and what it says. And, and I encourage you as I, as I speak, man, study the Scriptures for yourself and see if I'm off. I'm not trying to start at a cult right now. I'm just saying, no, no, this is based upon everything I know now. And I feel like I have a much better grasp of Scripture by the grace of God. Let me start all over. And what would I, what would I teach first if this were a new group? And I think I would start in the very beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I would talk about God, and I want to talk about God today and help you understand who God is, why God would be worth going through that. Why in the world do people all around this planet, why are they willing to go through persecution, lose everything, go through so much pain for God? It's because of who he is. I think sometimes we have such a small view of God that some of you walking in here might have a very tiny view of God, so you kind of go, well, I don't know if I want to follow him. Maybe, maybe later. I don't know if I want to give this up for him. Is he really enough for me to you know, keep loving my husband, keep loving my wife? I mean, am I really going to forgive my neighbor for this or that? I, I don't know. I don't know about these. No, if you had the right view of God and you understood him, you'd see that he's worth it. And you'd understand, okay, I, I don't mess around. I don't read through the, the Bible just as a little Bible saying, oh, that's a cute fact, that's a cute fact. No, you read it and go, I need to tremble at this. I need to do it because God just asked me to do this. Where I would start is what, what, what the Bible says um, is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So often in churches today and in Christian presentations, we want to start off and say, hey, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Let me talk to you about God's love. And we just go on and talk about how much God loves us and Jesus loves us and his mercy, his grace and everything. But yet the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in and, and Proverbs it says the fear of the Lord leads to life. That we have to understand first who this God is and why we need to fear him. Then we understand when he loves us. We're like, what? That being loves me? 
Whenever I hear the fear of the Lord, hundreds of times throughout Scripture, that, that phrase. But I remember growing up in church, and every time I'd hear the word, the fear of the Lord, whoever was teaching, whether it was a Sunday school teacher or pastor, they would quickly go, okay, well, but fear doesn't mean like fear. I'm like, oh, okay. It just means like a reverence for him. Like you should respect him. And yet when I read the Bible, that's not what I see. It sure looks like fear, fear to me. I mean, when someone, I mean, look at the places when someone sees God. Does it look like reverence to you? Like, I ought to respect him. No, it's sheer terror. It's absolutely faint, fall on my face, terrified. It's under the power of, you've got to understand this. You know, it's like one time I, I went surfing with some friends uh, out in Ventura, and it was, it was a few years ago, and it was just too big for me, but I went out anyways, because um, I'm just dumb that way. And, and I went out, and I remember just taking this one wave that, that, that just, I gotta just go for it. Why don't we just sit out there the whole time? And I just took this thing, and I fell immediately. And so I got sucked under by this wave. And, and this has happened before, but not to this point, because when it takes you under, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, you just start spinning in circles. You're just out of control, and you don't know which way's up. You're holding your breath as long as you can, and you're just going, when is this, this isn't going to let me out? When's it going to let me out? Usually after you know, a few seconds, you can you know, come up for air. This thing just kept going, and now I'm terrified. Because I'm thinking, I can't hold my breath anymore. It's freezing. I'm nauseous. I don't have any breath left. And I just thought, I'm dead. I'm dead. You know, I'm just spinning. I'm dead. I'm dead. You know, all these thoughts. I was freaked out. I didn't think to myself, I ought to show respect for this wave. I should have some reverence for the power of this wave. No, I was just terrified. You, you can't help it. You don't, you don't think to be scared. You just are. And then finally, you know, you know after, after, you know, I'm just thinking, I'm just going to open my mouth and gulp salt water, you know, and just suck it in. Maybe there's some air in there and, you know, but I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. You know, then finally, you know, it, it starts to loosen up and I can see a little bit of light. You just reach out and you, you know, and just take that breath. And ah, it was just, it was horrifying. But, but that, that, that feeling of just being under the power of something, you have no control. You guys, that's what I see when people see God. There's nothing you can do. There's no manipulation. There's not, I couldn't talk the wave out of changing, you know, its direction. There's just no type of negotiation going on. That's what goes on when people see God. See, we got to start with an understanding of this. God's not like any of us in this room. God's not like any problem you've ever had. The Bible says that God is holy. That means he's set apart. He's different. He's set apart. He's distinct. He's holy. He's different from you. Man, some of you have, have a small view of God. You think you're going to come up and you're going to see God and you're going to talk to him and explain why you did this. There's none of that. There's this being who's so different from you. And you got to understand that. He's not just someone you can make up in your mind and go, well, I picture God this way. I picture God this way. No, God says what he's like. In fact, when Moses says, God, can I see you? Can I, can I, can I see your face? God says, no. He says, no human being can see my face and live through it. Think about that. There's a being in heaven right now, right now. You're breathing because of him. And he says, do you understand how different I am from you? You can't even look at me right now without dying. He's different, and that's who we're all going to face any day. Any second, whenever he chooses. 
And, and, and yet every once in a while, while he told Moses, you know, no, you can't see me. Every once in a while in scripture, he lets a human being get some sort of glimpse of him, some sort of vision of him. You know, it seems like they're, they're actually, they actually get to be taken into heaven and, you know, maybe in their spirit. I know like when John saw Jesus, uh, saw God, saw the throne in, uh, in Revelation 4, it says that he was taken in his spirit. I don't believe it was his flesh, like his human body went up into heaven, because the Bible says our, our flesh can't take it. So 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how when we die, we're given a new body, we're given a different existence, we're given an immortal body, because these flesh and blood bodies, they, they can't handle the presence of God. But Isaiah, I, wanna, I want us to look at a passage that some of you guys are familiar with, Isaiah chapter six, there's a description of God, and I, and I want us to, I want you to get this. I want you to understand who we're talking about whenever I say the word God in this room. I want you to understand who he is and why we need to fear him, and why that's the foundation of our faith and the beginning of wisdom. See, because there's days, there's days when I wake up and I don't feel like following God, there's days I don't wake up and I don't feel like loving God or even loving my neighbor or even loving my own wife. Because the feelings, they come and go, but at the foundation of it all, the reason why I won't head a different direction is because of the fear of the Lord. And some of you who don't have that at the foundation, you'll have nothing there on those days when you don't feel all lovey-dovey with God and you don't feel like doing his will even when I don't feel like it, I do it anyways because of the fear of the Lord. And that's the foundation. Now it's true that as we love him and we grow in this love that we're motivated by this love. But some days we're just not there. And it's good to have that foundation of fear because it just keeps you from going too far astray. Isaiah in chapter six, verse one, he says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Okay, this is huge. In the year that King Uzziah died, let me just say real quickly, King Uzziah was this great military leader. You know, when he was leading, everything was fine. But then here, here Isaiah is, is, is a prophet during this time when that king dies. And so it was a time of turmoil. It was a time when people didn't know what was going to happen next. What's going to happen regarding war? What's going to happen regarding our economy? What's going to happen? Our, our world may fall apart right now. And God chooses that time to say to Isaiah, look, I'm going to show you who's really on the throne. It doesn't matter what happens on that little planet. Okay, I'm still on my throne. And so in the year that King Uzziah died, God shows his prophet Isaiah. He goes, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. So he goes, when, I, when King Uzziah died, he goes, God gave me a vision of him. He goes, I actually saw him, and he says, I saw this throne. Okay, I don't know what you think about when you think, okay, what will I see when I see God? If you picture a throne, you're, you're right. Biblically, it seems like that. those are the descriptions. He says, I saw this being on a throne, but not a normal throne. It, it was a high and exalted throne. It, it, it was this, this massive throne, and, he, and it says that he was so big that he says his robe filled up the entire temple. Okay, so imagine coming into the presence of a being whose robe, you know, he just fills up the whole temple. And then he says above him were these angels, these seraphim, these high angels. And these angels, they each have six wings. So he sees this being who fills up the whole temple, these angels that are covering themselves. He says with two wings, they cover their faces. These are high angels. The angels would freak us out. They would terrify us if we saw one. So they have six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. So they are covered from head to toe. And they're flying with the other two wings, covering themselves up. 
Why? Because they, they, they see this being on the throne and they don't feel worthy to look upon him. They don't feel worthy to be looked upon by him because he's just so beyond them. And it says one is screaming to the other angel and he's going, holy, holy, holy. He goes, that being, uh, he's so different from us. He's so holy. He's so separate. He's not like all the common things. He's not like all these people we look up to. He's just different. And they're covering themselves from head to toe saying, holy, holy, holy. When you said something three times in the Hebrew, it was a, a picture of perfection. It was a picture like there is no one like him. He is perfectly holy. Here's this one being that the high angels just don't feel comfortable even looking upon. Or having him look upon him. And they're screaming, he is so holy. He is so holy. He's like nothing else. In the beginning, God. That's who we're talking about. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They're looking at our planet. They look at everything God created and they just go, man, that's just amazing. Everything shows off how great this God is. That he could speak us into existence. It goes on in verse four. It says, the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of, a, of people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Here's Isaiah's response. He says, everything was shaking. This angel was screaming holy, holy so loud that everything was shaking and this whole place was filled with smoke. Okay, what would you do? Think about it. Okay, you come into the presence of God, this being who's on this throne, angels are screaming, everything is shaking. Everything's filled with smoke, these angels. I mean, what are you gonna do in the presence of that God? Tell him why you did the things that you did on the earth? I mean, what what do you do at that moment? You, You need to understand because some of you are so used to people looking up to you and kissing up to you. Because maybe you're maybe you're rich. Maybe you're powerful, maybe you're, you're over this person or that person, maybe you're attractive, maybe you're athletic, but you're used to some sort of admiration, and so, so you have this, you walk in here and there's this sense of, oh, you know, look at this person, you know, you know what, oh, I'm so far above the other people, well, let me ask you something, what are you going to do when you come in the presence of God, and you recognize, hey, you care less about any of that stuff. I don't care how famous you are, who you are in this room, or who's watching. It just really doesn't matter. When you read the book of Revelation, he especially points that out. He goes, man, it doesn't matter if they're kings, they're generals. It just really doesn't matter. There's God. Remember what Dr. Peter Jones was talking about? There's God, and then there's us. That's it. We're not all in the same circle. There's a being up there, and then there's all these little people. That's it. And Isaiah's response is probably similar to what yours will be. Isaiah immediately just says, woe is me for I am lost. I don't like that translation um, because it's so much stronger uh, in the context of their language. That woe is me, no one says woe is me. Um, But it really wasn't an expletive. It was more of a the strongest term. Um, Even when he says for I am lost, Uh, The the Hebrew literally says, for I am about to be destroyed. He takes a a look at this being. He goes, he's going to kill me. Here's a prophet of God who immediately just looks at that being. He doesn't negotiate with him. He just goes, I know what I've done. He's going to kill me. He's going to destroy me. I'm lost. Nothing I can do. He says, from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He goes, I just saw God. I'm not allowed to see God. He goes, you see all the sin in my life? How can I come into the presence of God? Immediately, he just goes, I'm dead. 
See, this is not the attitude that most people think they're going to come in the presence of God with. People come in my office and go, gosh, you know, why did God do this to me? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him some questions. I've got some, you know, I'm like, really? <laughs> really? You're going to come before that with your demands. Isaiah did. He just says, I'm dead. You're going to kill me. I really screwed up. What's amazing is the next verse, verse 6. Then one of those angels, one of the seraphim, flew over to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here's, a, here's Isaiah who just says, He's going to kill me. You're going to kill me, God, because I so screwed up. And this angel flies over to him with this coal. You know, Isaiah just said, my lips, I've said things that, I, I, that, that were so sinful, that were so... And this angel comes over and touches his lips. He goes, no, no, no. You've been forgiven. Your sins are atoned for. Someone has paid the price for your sin. Let me ask you something. What did Isaiah do to deserve that? Nothing, right? The only thing he did was come to the end of himself and say, God, I confess. I deserve your punishment. I'm a sinner. And God comes over and he forgives him. I want you to understand something. God's forgiveness is free. It really is. It's, it's something that you don't earn. Isaiah did not say, hey, I did this, 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 or if you forgive me, I'll do this, this. There's no negotiating. He just says, I'm a sinner. I deserve your punishment. And that's got to be the first step. If any of you walks in here and, and you, you think, no, I'm a good person. I'm going to explain to God what a good person I am. I promise you, you will not be forgiven. It's those who humble themselves, even like the prophet Isaiah, who say, God, I deserve your punishment. You and I know what I've done. And now that I'm in the presence of your holiness, I see my own evil. Isn't that just true even when you're around people who are holy? You know how certain people you, you get around and you just feel guilty? They don't even have to say anything. You just know the way they live and you feel guilty. I, I think that was part of me watching that video. It's like, there's the real thing. I feel like dirt. Imagine what it's going to feel like coming in the presence of God, who's perfectly holy. It just reveals all the sin. And then as you see that, and hopefully you see that while you're still on this earth, God comes and forgives and your sin can be atoned for. That atoning is what we talk about and what Jesus did on the cross. He covers over it. He paid for it on that cross. And then in verse 8, after Isaiah is forgiven, he, he hears, he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy, and bind their, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Okay, do you get what's going on here? Because this is a very important part too. Once all of that happens and Isaiah's been forgiven, he hears the voice going, I need someone to do something for me. Who, who, who shall I send? Who's going to go for us? Here's God speaking. Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah, because he's been forgiven. See, this is the result of being forgiven by God. When you get it, when you understand that you've been forgiven and you recognize the grace of God, you, you're just overwhelmed with this gratitude. Like, okay, God, I'm yours now. You just saved me from all of that. You, you could have destroyed me, but instead you saved me. Here am I. Send me. What do you need me to do? And that was Isaiah's attitude. And God says, here's what I want you to do. He goes, I, I want you to go to these people. I want you to go to these people, Israel. And, and here's, what, here's my message to them. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. What? He's telling Isaiah, look, I'm going to send you to these people and they're not going to listen to you. In fact, you're going to tell them about this beautiful, wonderful God that, that, that we all want to serve and come under and come under his leadership, come under his, but they're not going to listen to you. 
In fact, they're going to be blind to your message. You're going to be deaf to your message. You're going to keep on preaching to them, and they're, going to, they're, they're not going to listen. He goes, if they, if they did and they understood with their hearts, they would turn and start following me. But he goes, they're not going to listen because they're going to be too into all their other stuff and all the little things on this planet, and they'll exchange the glory of the immortal God for these little things on the planet. And they'd rather worship the creature than the creator. He goes, but just go and do it. And then in the next verse, verse 11, Isaiah said, and we'll close with this, he says, how long, Lord? And God says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Isaiah says to God, how long do you want me to keep preaching this? He goes, until I destroy that city, until I remove all the inhabitants. He goes, I'm going to take Israel out of Israel. I'm going to have people overrun it, overturn it. But you just keep preaching. No one's going to listen to you. It's going to be a mess. But that's what I've called you to do. I thought, wow, what an awful, awful assignment. Go somewhere where no one will listen to you. And they won't get you. And uh, I, I guess I, I read this because I want you to think through. Are, are you really just open to doing whatever God's called you to? God gave Isaiah a specific responsibility. He says, here's what I want you to do. And Isaiah, because he understood the fear of the Lord now, he understood the forgiveness of God, he just says, I'll do whatever, just tell me. Is that you? You know, when I was a, a kid, I was told, you know, you receive Jesus into your heart. I've been looking for that verse for the last 25 years. I haven't found it. There isn't a verse that says, receive Jesus into your heart. Pray and ask him into your heart. But there are dozens and dozens of verses where Jesus says, follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Unless you love me more than your father, mother, your wife, your kids, you're not worthy. You may have nowhere to sleep, but you still follow me. People will hate you, but you still follow me. You follow me, you surrender to me. You be like Isaiah and say, here am I, send me. And God will give you the power to do that, but there is a point of surrender. There's a point when you come to the end of yourself and you go, you know what, God, whatever. And that's why there's people there in India being beaten to death because they go, no, I've surrendered to this God and whatever he asks me to do, I'll do. And when I was speaking this week in Florida, there was a speaker right before me and he said something really good. Um, he said... Uh, he says, when you come to the end of your life, God's not going to ask you to give account for what you've done. He's not going to hold you accountable for what you've done. He, he's he's, uh, he's going to hold you accountable for what you did that he asked you to do. In other words, he says, you can be busy doing a bunch of stuff. The question is, is are you doing the things that God asked you to do? At the end of your life, he's going to say, wait, this is what I asked you to do. What do you ask us to do? Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he asked us to do. And just like Isaiah, Isaiah said, well, you know what? I, I went and I did this, and I did this, and I did this. He goes, yeah, that's great, but I asked you to do this. God asked us to make disciples. See, some of you want to come before God and go, you know what? I went to 47 Bible studies. 47. I was part of a small group. Man, I, I did this, I did this, I helped with childcare. These are all good things, these are fine things, but God's going to say, but what did I ask you to do? Make disciples. How many disciples did you make? Who'd you bring up here with you? Who'd you talk to? Anyone? Zero? That's great that you kept yourself busy on the earth, but did you do the things that I asked you to do? I thought, wow, that's a great statement. 
That's what God's going to hold me accountable for is what, what did he ask me to say to you? What did he ask me to do out there is to tell people, care for the poor. You know, and just look through the scriptures. What do you ask me to do? A lot of times we want to be busy with church things or things that we think are Christian things, but they may not be the things that he asks you to do. You say, oh, I went to 15 Christian concerts, you know, and I sang really loud. That's great. But how many disciples did you make? None? Because that was the assignment. And you guys, listen, I... I do not live a perfect life. And there are many mornings I wake up and I don't feel like doing God's will. I want to do Francis's will. I want to make up my own plan and then make it okay with God. But to be a follower of Jesus Christ means we really surrender. And this week I've been praying for you because I, I just kept saying, God, even when I'm teaching, give me a love for the people in the room. I'm going to just love them. Some of you guys I've known forever, it feels like. And I don't want to fool you into thinking that following Jesus is just some decision you make. It is a moment of decision. But the rest of your life shows that that decision was for real. That you really did surrender to him. And you really did say, here am I, send me. And I took some time this week, just again, to make sure I'm for real. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. This is a holy God we're talking about. And when you face him, it will be terrifying. But as he says to so many who have come under that fear, he says, okay, now fear not. And we'll be talking about this, but I just want to make sure for today we understood God is holy and he's someone to be feared. And when the disciples were preaching that first sermon in Acts chapter 2, the people heard about this God, heard about his crucifixion. They just surrender and said, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized and you'll, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, at some point, you turn from your life, you get baptized, meaning you just immerse yourself in Jesus, you die to your sins, you die to your old life and say, I surrender to you. And then it says that he fills you with his spirit to give you the power to live the way he wants you to. So don't think you've got to be good enough to get baptized. If you think that, you'll never get baptized. It's at a point when you say, I'm not good enough, and I need your forgiveness, and I need you to come into me because I want to live the life you want me to live. And if that's you, then during our time of worship, there'll be some pastors and some uh, counselors up here to pray with you. Um, but I want you to get right before the Lord. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And, In fact, right now, could you just bow your heads? just want you to picture uh, God on his throne. The angels screaming out his holiness. And just you before that holy God. And then just say to him whatever, whatever you want to say to him right now.